Welcome to the Woman Inc. podcast. This is the place for the new generation of women looking to lead the life of their absolute dreams. I'm your host, Jenna Toddy, entrepreneur, life coach, and strategist for modern businesswomen and entrepreneurs. I am a city girl, sriracha lover, and that friend who will hype you up when you forget how powerful you truly are. I am on a mission to make Women Inc. the most powerful network of women who are leveling up, owning what they want, and becoming who they've always wanted to be. Have you ever wondered what it would look like if you went all in on yourself? No turning back. If so, you are in the right place, my girl. Let's get started. Hello, my beautiful Woman Inc. listeners. My guest this week is Julie Resnick, co-founder of The Feed Feed, a food and lifestyle media company. Julie started Feed Feed on Instagram, where she began posting pictures of her own food, which her co-founder and husband, Dan, photographed. She then asked others to share what they were making by tagging their images with hashtag Feed Feed. Since then, the company has become the largest crowdsourced food publication, community, and the source of what to cook, bake, eat, and drink in today's world across social media and the web. Feed Feed comes to life for its community through experiences at hosts all over the world, and in particular out of Brooklyn and Los Angeles test kitchens, as well as virtual events and Instagram lives. Feed Feed has a monthly reach of 30 million food and drink lovers with over 3.5 million followers across six Instagram accounts and over 1.2 followers on TikTok. It is probably more since we recorded. Eagerly consuming its entertaining, fun, and educational content. Feed Feed works with brands such as American Express Gold, GE Appliances, General Mills, and many more who lean on Feed Feed to help market their brands and products with content, media, social, and influencer programs, as well as virtual and IRL experiences. I loved chatting with Julie about how she started this empire of a food community. She gives so many practical pieces of advice that translate to any industry. I am also fully obsessed with Feed Feed Instagram. If you haven't already followed, I highly, highly recommend it. Their content is excellent. Now let's get over to my conversation with Julie. So first off, I just told you this, but I'm very, very excited to hear your story because I'm a huge fan. I have to know, I mean, you have 1.9 million followers on Instagram, which is crazy on one of your accounts. It's like 3.5, right? Total. Yep. And I think 2.2 on TikTok. Which is crazy. Did you ever see your business becoming this big? Probably not at the beginning. No. I mean, it was just sort of an idea and something that I was doing for fun and a way to connect with other people online and mostly on Instagram. Just getting ideas for what to cook for dinner. The reason I started the company was because I had left New York City and I was living out at the very end of Long Island in a small town called Amagansett with my husband and two kids. 
actually we had we had had our third by then but when we moved out there we had two kids and i really miss the restaurant scene in the city the farmers market scene in the city and i needed to like find my way and food on the east end of long island and so i found some local farms that i became really a part of and on the board of and active and i helped out at the school and brought this salad program to the school to go along with their pizza but i kind of missed that community feeling of food and and sharing with like-minded people so i I basically went to Instagram and was like, okay, well, there's got to be people out there who are cooking the same kind of meals that I'm making for dinner. And I want to see what they're making. So that was a long time ago on Instagram. It was only square images and hashtags. You know, I, I started my account and I just started posting photos of what I was making for dinner that my husband, who is now my co-founder and was at the time, but he was a radiologist then. He would go to work and then he'd come home and I'd have dinner ready. And I'm like, okay, now you have to take the photo. And the kids were like crying. And it was looking back on those days is it was no, I had no idea that we would start a business and that his years of medical school and residency and fellowship and that we would be partners in this business and have offices in Brooklyn and LA and and actually move across the country. Now we're we're living in Los Angeles with our three kids and we go back to New York in the summers. But now I mean I had no idea. Yeah, I I really can't imagine. And also telling your husband who went to medical school, I've got it. I'm good. We can can go off of really just this passion you had. I'm sure it was a hobby when you first started. You were just doing it for fun. Yeah. So once it started to become a business, what changes did you implement? Did you hire a team right away once you started realizing like, oh, wow, this is becoming big? It took a while. It's funny. I had a background in marketing and online and social. Kind of the funny thing about FeedFeed is that it's really a combination of my professional life and then my personal life and passion. So after I graduated from college, I moved to New York and I worked at an agency. And this is right... So I'm 45. So it's right when like the web was sort of taking off. And there was this energy and excitement. And it was like, hey, you're a young person. You're 22. You know about the web, right? And I'm like, I mean, I guess so. I use Yahoo to search up a question that I have. So this agency that I worked for, they, they gave all of the young people these huge accounts. And we did some really fun things. I launched the first first French connection website. And it was an e-commerce website. And it was one of the first e-commerce websites for fashion. And it was fun. And then we did different websites for Estee Lauder and creating fun tools for the first time. Apply makeup, upload a photo of your face and apply this gloss. No one had done anything like that. And they were these really fun environments. So I had that background. But then when September 11th happened... I think a lot of young people in New York and probably similar to nowadays with COVID, we all kind of question, am I doing what I want to be doing or is there something else out there? And so I remember thinking, well, I love to cook and I love food. So maybe I don't want to do this. Maybe I'm going to go to culinary school. And so I remember calling my dad and saying, I know it wasn't that long ago that I was in college, but I'm wondering if you would pay for my culinary school. And I was fortunate that he did. But I did a nine-month program at the Institute of Culinary Education. It was on the weekends. So Saturday and Sunday from nine to five. So I worked all week at my job at the agency. And then I was in culinary school on the weekends. And my husband, he's now my husband, of course, but Dan at the time was in his residency year. And I figured, well, it's a perfect year. I mean, he's working at the hospital all the time. I'm never going to see him. And so what ended up happening is at the end of that nine-month time period, my career at the agency took off. 
And it just didn't seem like the right time to start over and work in a restaurant and work my way up. So I kind of put food, at least on the professional side, on the back burner. Dan and our friends kind of benefited from my culinary school. You know, I would have big dinner parties and people over and cook dinner all the time, but I didn't do anything professionally in food until I started Feed Feed. Wow. But I'm sure a lot of, like you said, your experience is coming to play every single day, I'm sure, having that. Yeah, right. So Feed Feed is this combination of my web and digital and social awareness and and having had a career in that for so many years and then applying that to something. Food was my passion and what I love to do at home. And whenever I had a moment to myself on the weekend or once we started having kids, we have three kids now, always cooking and baking with them in the kitchen. So it's great to be able to put all of it together. Love that. So I feel like there are a lot of food blogs slash food media out there. How do you feel like you were able to make your mark in such a way that you have? How do you think Feed Feed has been set apart? Yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, I would say that, I mean, we're a little different because it did start as just me and you you were kind of asking, when did I start hiring people and when did it become a business? I mean, it became a business, it was probably like two to three years after I started it as just an Instagram account. And at that time, I did hire one person and then another person and then another person. But we actually never got any investment. So because I knew how to, from my agency days, how to develop relationships with brands and um, manage clients and understand what their needs were from a marketing and media perspective. Once I started selling basically native advertisements, so sponsored posts, that was when I decided to bring people onto the team. And in terms of how we're different, again, because it was just me at the beginning and because I was looking for inspiration myself, we had this hashtag, right? So everything that we do is about hashtag feed feed. And that's been the case from day one. So at the beginning, it was just my account, the feed feed. I'm posting my own things, but I'm telling everyone on Instagram, hey, share what you're making by adding hashtag feed feed so I can check it out. And then again, as a mom of three at the time, I'm actually not a great photographer. So Dan takes all of our photos. I couldn't even create... I could create the food and style the food, but I wasn't taking that many of our photos. So I was limited by his day job. And so I would start sharing some posts. So there weren't a lot of accounts that were regramming at that time. But for me, it was not just about, oh, look at these pretty cinnamon rolls. Yum. It was, okay, why is that an interesting cinnamon roll? Oh, that's interesting. That person, I don't know, infused the milk with cardamom. And then, you know, maybe like instead of it being a cinnamon sugar, it's a pistachio sugar. That's a great cinnamon roll. But again, if you see that post and you're like, oh, I want to make those. And all I did is share the photo. It's kind of a bummer because you're like, well, that's great and all, but I don't even know how would I make these cardamom pistachio cinnamon rolls. So from the very beginning, I wanted to also share the recipes with the community of people that had started following me and also to kind of get momentum around that cinnamon roll. So it was like, okay, we put the recipe out there and then people would start making it and sharing it and then saying to the contributor, because again, that maybe wasn't my pistachio cinnamon roll. It was just someone who I found on Instagram because I was looking through hashtag feed feed and they had shared it with us. So we would reach out to people and say, hey, we love these cinnamon rolls. Do you have a recipe? And most people that were sharing food content 
content at that time did have a blog. And so what we did is we developed our website as kind of like a repository of our favorite recipes so that it's really easy for the user to just click the link in any of our Instagram bios and go to that page on our website. And from there, you can click off to get the recipe for anything that we've posted. I went to culinary school, as I mentioned before, and Molly, who I hired, also went to culinary school at ICE as well. And so we could read the recipes. We didn't always test them, but we could at least read them and gut check them and know, okay, that's going to work. And maybe if something didn't look like it would work, we would then test it and we would make sure that we weren't going to put out content that someone would fail because there's nothing worse than going out and buying all the ingredients and spending the time and making something and then having it fail. So you asked what sets Feed Feed apart. I think from the beginning, it was about celebrating people and what they were cooking, no matter where they lived. And the common thread was our hashtag Feed Feed. And then putting that out to the community of people who followed us and saying, look, this person made this amazing amazing you know, dish, you should make it too. And here's the tools that you need. Here's the recipe to make that. So I think that's different because there are a lot of accounts on Instagram, at least, that do share user-generated content. But for them, I think it's not about giving someone the ability to actually make it and to vet those recipes beforehand. And we still do that to this day. Where do you think this love of cooking came from? Definitely from my mom. So she cooked dinner pretty much every night. And I grew up in like the 80s and 90s in Dallas, Texas. I remember being so jealous because I feel like during that time period, a lot of women and my mom worked, but she still she still made dinner. But a lot of my my friends' moms had these jobs. Women were really getting out there and, and working. And because of that, they didn't have as much time as, you know, maybe you know, people had before when they weren't working as much. And so my friends' parents were always taking them out to dinner all the time. And I was like, we never go out to dinner. Like my mom just cooks cooks at home every night. So I remember as a kid, I asked her, Hey, can you take us out to dinner? And we would go. And then I'd always be disappointed. I would always think, oh, she could have made it better than that. I think food is just been really important in my family growing up. And, and I think it's definitely because my mom was always cooking us dinner every night. Yeah. Do they think what you've built now is so crazy? Like, do they look at it and, oh my gosh, I cannot believe you have built this big of a company out of your love for cooking? It's funny. I still think, I think my mom doesn't really understand. She gets it fundamentally what we do, but she doesn't fully understand it. And I think for her, the day that we were like, okay, so Dan's not going to be practicing radiology anymore. Molly, who's been a part of the company, she says that her mom always thinks, oh, that email that you wrote every week, that's such a nice email. She thinks that's the extent of her job, just like writing <laughs> the email. And I think in a way, same thing with my mom. She gets the email, but she doesn't have an Instagram account. And people definitely tell her, but I'm not sure she fully understands. <laughs> This is purely a selfish question because my dream has always been to be bi-coastal New York and LA. How do you do that with three young kids? You just do it. I mean, people always say that, like, what about school? And it's like, well, if your kids go to a public school and you live in a district, then you live in a district that you're okay sending your kids to the public school. You can arrive on a Friday and have your lease. And on Monday, you walk into the school and you say, hi, I'm here to enroll my three children. It's pretty easy if you go to a public school. So that's sort of just one way how you do it. There's a funny thing that kind of happens in your mind. We're actually gearing up to go back to New York in 
a couple of weeks for the summer. And it's almost like having two families. It's like, we love LA and we love our house here and we love New York. Everybody in New York's like, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? And then the people here are like, oh, when are you coming back? It's just a different way of living. Yeah. No, I completely understand. It's such a different life. I'm from California, from near LA, but I moved to New York six years ago. And I feel the same way. Every time I go home, I'm like, I feel like I need to live in California. And then I go to New York. I'm like, I can never leave New York. Yeah. Hence my questions. I can try to figure this out. So I feel like when you start a company based on your passion, it's a dream until it's the thing that you love becomes work. And you, I'm sure, have a schedule you have to keep. And it can, I can imagine, become pretty routine. Have you found that you have resented cooking at all? Or have you been able to keep the passion for it completely alive throughout this process? Pretty much I've been able to keep the passion for cooking alive. I'd say that COVID is probably the biggest test of that. I was pretty much always cooking dinner for us almost every night. Maybe we would go out once every other week or so and once a week or every other week. So just that, I don't know, two or three times a month going to a restaurant or having going to somebody else's house for dinner, that kind of like mixes it up. Food is one of those things. We all have to do it three times a day, if not more. There are definitely days where I've had a long day and it's like, oh my gosh, it's 7.15. And luckily the kids are older now, but I do remember feeling very guilty, especially when we were living in New York and let's say they had a babysitter pick them up after school and it's like taking them around and all their after school stuff. And I would hear the door open and I'd be like, oh my God, I don't even know what I'm making for dinner. And it's like 7.05. And I have kids that need to eat dinner, do their homework and go to bed. So every night became a night of chopped or something where I'm like, oh my God, okay, <laughs> like black beans, you know? Okay, black beans, I've got black beans. And like just grabbing things. I'm like, okay, burrito bowls, guys. They're, they're gonna be ready in 15 minutes. <laughs> and like, I'm like, oh, take a shower and like start your homework and do that. And like, guess I don't have as much time for baking. I was sort of jealous of the whole sourdough quarantine situation because I was like, I'm just trying to figure out how to pivot our company that had turned into, you know, 30% of our business was events leading up into the pandemic. So unfortunately, I didn't get to nurse a, a starter, but no one benefited from bread other than I was buying from Tartine. So I was like, you know what? I'm fine. We have great bread here in Southern California. <laughs> yeah, I think you're good. You're doing a great job with all this <laughs> So once you have this platform and you have this many people watching what you're doing, how do you feel like you have stayed on track of scaling and going to the next level? I think that you have to constantly be looking at how things are performing. You can't be stuck in your ways. A couple of years ago on Instagram, for example, when IGTV came out, Instagram favored that type of content. And so we were lucky that at that time, you know, our office in Brooklyn was still open and our editorial team was able to make really great hosted content and we were able to put it out. And in addition to the user generated content that we were sharing and getting great ideas from, we're able to do that. But, you know, then it's like, okay, now Reels is here and what worked for IGTV doesn't work for Reels. And you can't just say, well, we don't do reels. We don't, how do you do a reel? It's like, well, it's trial and error. You have to try it. And some of them are going to flop and then other pieces of content are going to perform really well. And it's like, oh, a reel works really well when you loop it. Okay. So why is that? You just monitor what's working, but you also have to balance that with the mission of your company. And we have to give the audience good food content that we believe in, but that works with the format that is currently 
being promoted, I would say, by Instagram. But you just have to be aware of that. It's like you can, you know, if, if someone on my team pitches a recipe, I pretty much always say yes, but it doesn't mean that it's just going to come to life as a still image. We have to think about the way in which it, it's best to come to life. And, and that's on Instagram. TikTok is obviously very different. We're doing, I would say all of our rules have sort of gone out the window on TikTok. We just... <laughs> um, we just have fun over there. But TikTok is is great because, you know, a lot of people don't really realize the lives that TikTok offers and the promotion of of live broadcast on TikTok is is really great. So we go live on TikTok all the time and we actually have a network of creators that we work with that help us produce a ton of content for TikTok um, and we like to celebrate them. And I think that's the other the other part of our business is that we really are a community. And even though our hashtag, I'll click on it right now and just see because I don't I don't like to miss quote it. But hashtag feed feed has been tagged over 18 million times since we started. And if you scroll down, you see that people really get it. The bulk of the content over there is really good food content that people are making at home. And so it's been really exciting to continue to find good content creators that are using our hashtag and to elevate them and celebrate them on both our Instagram and on our website. But also a big piece of how we make money is we actually hire them. When we started working with brands, I got very nervous about having too many ads on the platform. And and I have a rule. The, The brands that we work with are the brands that I have in my pantry. So if if I wouldn't feed it to my kids or make it for dinner, I really don't want to promote that brand. And there are some brands that we work with that I would, you know, enjoy on a special occasion. And so it's like, yeah, we'll do that because that we I would do that in the summer at a beach bonfire. I would have that product. We make some exceptions because in life people are not always so rigid. And we didn't want to have too many ads. And also oftentimes brands will come and they'll say, we're looking to reach this target audience. And I say to them, that's great, but that's not our audience. But I know whose audience that is. I know this person and that person and that person. And they would be way better to develop that content for you and to put it out there. And if you want the alignment with Feed Feed, that's great. We'll choose the best of that content and we'll put it out. But maybe we'll only put it on our vegan account because it sounds like what you're saying is you're trying to reach the type of people that are following our vegan account. Or maybe it's like I don't know, a chocolate company. And we say, and we'll put that on our main account and our baking account and our chocolate account. So basically, we developed very early on an influencer network. And now we have a full influencer platform. It made up of people that we knew. We knew they were great content creators. We knew they were great recipe developers. It's not just influencer platform where you log in and it's like, I'm looking for this type of person to create this kind of content. They're coming to us with a brief and our team actually knows the people that we want to recommend because we celebrate them several times a year by just posting their organic food content that they're sharing with us on our website and on our hashtag. And I think that is so incredibly important to keep trust especially at this big of scale. I'm sure you have so many opportunities coming into your inbox every single day. So being able to like, still have that integrity I think is amazing. So you first of all say that very casually, how many people, what was it, 19 million people have tagged? Yeah, well, so there's 18,263,000. That being said, there are definitely people who have tagged us several hundred. <laughs> so I don't, they're not unique people, but there are unique posts, correct? Unique posts. Yeah. yeah. 
So if you were to give advice to someone starting off an account, what do you guys do really well, you think, on the back end that no one sees? Do you have a content calendar planned a month in advance? Do you have any tricks you can share for people to try to get 1% on your level? (laughs) I mean, we do. I don't think that that's that important. I think the most important thing, it's been the same from day one on Instagram. You should be active. What I mean by that is you don't post and then go for a run. You post and then you stay on your phone and you react to the comments and you see the people who are commenting and you click on those accounts and you're like, oh, she's great. Follow her. He's great. You know, you look at even hashtags that are relevant to the type of content that you're sharing. I mean, hashtags are still a great way if you look at the analytics on your Instagram posts. A lot of, you know, your new followers or people that have come to the posts have come in via hashtags or through the explore page. Like I said, you, I think you have to look at the type of content that you're putting out there and be pretty critical of it and say, that's okay. It was a good learning. I think if you're looking to, to do it as a business, you have to find your way in the industry that you're in. And you can, you can stick to what you do, have a narrow kind of focus or niche. And maybe you just say, I'm not doing videos or I'm not doing reels. And that's okay. But you're probably not going to grow as fast as someone else in your industry that does those things. Because the reality, at least on Instagram, of the algorithm is that it's favoring accounts that are using all of the features that it offers. So if you say, like, I'm not posting on Instagram stories. I don't like Instagram stories. Again, that's your choice. But you're kind of going to get... I don't want to say dinged, but it's just your, your account isn't showing up as much in the algorithm because you're not using that tool that was provided to you by Instagram. So I would try, I would just recommend to someone to, again, if you care about growing on Instagram, to play around with each of the different features and figure out how you, how it relates to what you're making or creating or selling. And, you know, you can still do it your way, but I would recommend using, I would post in stories. I would post um, using reels. I would, I mean, we just have been putting out guides because guides came out. There's a lot of cool features. So I just recommend using each of them and, and seeing how that works for, for what you're creating. And I mean, some of them do take courage. Going live, for example, can be nerve wracking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is so important. If you want to get in front of your community, you have to be able to speak to them directly, I think. Yeah. Or you know what? If you're not great at speaking or you don't want to be the person going live, maybe there's someone else in your space that you love and you follow and you appreciate what they do. Invite them to come live or go live with them or go live with a friend so that you feel comfortable and see how easy it is. But it's true. There's a lot of things that you have to do to stay on top of the changing platforms out there and putting out the type of content that is resonating with audiences at a moment's notice. And that's hard. Yes, it is. It's really good advice though. Second to last question, but what are you most excited about for the future of Feed Feed right now? I think what I'm most excited about is something that I don't know yet, but I'm anticipating, which is coming out of COVID and going back to in-person experiences, but also really learning from everything we learned from all of the virtual events and experiences that we've hosted over the last year plus. Definitely, people love to eat and cook and drink together. And, you know, we were hosting events in both Brooklyn and LA and everywhere in between many weeks of the year, the the two years leading up to COVID. So I'm excited to rethink what 
events are going to be in the future world. And I've actually loved a lot of our virtual events because it wasn't limited to people in one city. So we all got to experience something and one person is in New York and another person's in Austin and someone else is in Minneapolis. I think that's really cool. So I'm, I'm just kind of excited to see where I'll, I'll call it like experiences go and, and how our in-person um, and virtual events are going to gonna change after we're after this pandemic is behind us. That's exciting. I'm excited to tune into these. So last question, which is something I ask everyone, what would be your number one advice for a woman who is wanting to start her own business? I mean, I think if you're really serious about it, you just have to tell other people that you're going to do it. And then you just have to do it. We would say, we're going to open an office in Brooklyn that's also going to be a test kitchen and an event space. And then it was like, okay, now we're going to do it. Because we said it, we did it. So when you're really ready, and you also, I think, I mean, this is more than one piece of advice, but I, I mean, I say this all the time, like, I've never done this before. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm just trying to make the best decision for the brand, for the business, for the client, for our staff, whoever it is. And I'm kind of weighing all of those things. But there aren't that many people out there that have already had the same business that they have. Everyone's doing it for the first time. I mean, okay, so someone may come along and buy your business. Guess what? You're probably going to go open an ice cream shop next or start investing in real estate. You're not going to just start the same business that you had before. So you can't be too hard on yourself for making mistakes or second-guessing yourself. I think it's important to really think about the big decisions and... Those you should plan out and have a little bit of a, okay, so I think let's, this is how we're going to do this. And then you got to give it a shot and don't be afraid to certain things that you do are not going to work. And that's fine. You're, you're going to learn from it. So if something's not working, you can always pivot or change or just tweak it slightly and it might be fine, but I wouldn't dig in. I think if you dig your heels in too far and you're too stubborn and you're like, no, this is going to work because I want it to work. But if it's not working, recognize that and then figure out where to take it from there. Julie, thank you so much. You are amazing. This has been so much fun to chat with you. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity and hopefully someday we'll be able to meet in person. Yes. I know you have a lot of accounts, but where can everyone find you? I would say just up there on Instagram, just over at The Feed Feed and our website is thefeedfeed.com. Perfect. And we'll link it in the show notes as well. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Julie. Okay, I hope you enjoyed this episode and are feeling so fired up to go out there and create that business or side hustle that's been on your to-do list, you know, a little bit longer than you care to admit. It is never too late to make the first step towards the life you want more than anything else. If you haven't already, make sure you are subscribed to the show so that you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, keep becoming the woman of your wildest dreams.